All right, everybody, come on back in. We're ready to roll. Fantastic. My goal is to get you all out of here at the time that we said or earlier, because I know it's a Friday night and uh, most everybody's had a long day, a long day, a long week, and uh, usually by this time Friday night people are starting to peter out just a little bit. Um, I'll introduce myself. My name is Bob Paul, and I am one of the co-presidents of the National Institute of Marriage. I've been around since the beginning of this ministry, which is uh, 14 years this month, as a matter of fact. Never in a million years thought that this is what God had in store for me. Um, I've had a stupid number of jobs. Uh, It's embarrassing. Uh, I just had a hard time figuring out what I wanted to do when I grew up. So uh, when my wife met me, I, um, I'm also a musician. I was a professional musician, and she thought she was marrying a musician. Um, we had no idea that this is where God had in store for us. Matter of fact, I didn't know the Lord. Uh, in fact, my wife is the one that led me to the Lord. Uh, I didn't want to be a Christian. I was seeking God at that point. I was getting tired of the rock musician's lifestyle and saw it looked like it was a dead-end street that I was heading down. Um, and... Uh, I was searching for truth, but I wanted truth to be anywhere but Jesus Christ. And then I ran into this woman, and uh, she had kind of fallen away from the Lord for uh, a couple of years, had grown up a Christian, and had an experience about a month before she met me, which really rocked her world and made it real clear that she needed to run back to Christ. So she was on her way back and was just far enough away uh, and short enough into that journey back that she would entertain having a relationship with a heathen like me. And uh, um, we started a pretty hot and heavy relationship. And uh, one thing led to another. And it's a long story. It's an interesting story, but I don't have time to tell you. And uh, uh, she had a big hand in helping me recognize that Jesus was real. Um, to the point that I accepted Jesus the day before we got married. Now... Uh, the story's a little better than that because I didn't tell her till the day after because I wanted to make sure she's going to marry me anyway. Because um, <laughs> I really thought that was going to be a point of contention and I didn't realize that, that that woman was hanging pretty tight with the Holy Spirit and basically she told me years later, I didn't even know this, that two weeks before we got married, he said to her, don't worry, honey, I got him. So I, I, she went into it feeling quite confident and I'm sitting there thinking I'm pulling something off, but apparently not. Um, so... Uh, couple things. First of all, what we just did, what Bob just did, was he shared with you some of the yuck of relationships. And guys, when we started this ministry, we didn't know about the fear cycle. We stumbled onto the fear cycle. Like just about everything else we've learned, we've kind of stumbled onto it, and God kind of came and pointed it out and said, here, look at this. And what's weird is that it relates to everybody. Everybody we know has one of these going on. Okay. Now, it's hard for guys to admit sometimes that they have fears because, you know, they basically don't teach us that in guy school. Matter of fact, they teach us that we're not supposed to be afraid. If we're going to be real men, we don't have fears, right? But that's a bunch of baloney. Okay. First of all, there are two typical reactions to fear, right? What are they? Fight or flight. Okay. So a lot of times when we get scared, what do we do? We get angry and we're ready to fight. And you'll notice in those lists of reactions, they're typically going to be either fight or flight reactions. 
Okay, because just because you run doesn't mean you're not scared. Just because you get angry and fight doesn't mean you're, you're, you're not scared. You are scared. You just may not be aware of it. You may not have labeled it as fear. But all of us do this. Now, the details, the cycle's the exact same. The details are a little bit different. But everybody has this. So it's good to know that. But you all know now. So we don't need to spend any more time there. All right, we're going to spend the rest of our time tonight and tomorrow morning talking about how to get to a better place. And that's what I want to talk about. Now, we never intend, we never go into a relationship, a committed relationship like marriage, life, supposed to be lifelong relationship like marriage, intending it for it to be a bad deal, for it to be a miserable situation. And um, what I want to do before we get going is share with you a few examples of people who intended for something to be really, really good and came up, like many of us in our marriages, just a little bit short. What I want to share with you for a minute is a few church bulletin bloopers. I found out that you guys have church bulletins here, okay? So hopefully you haven't seen any of these, but these are actual um, lines that occurred in real live church bulletins, like this one. Don't let worry kill you, let the church help. Could you imagine coming in Sunday morning and seeing that and going, wow, what kind of place am I going to? All right, how about this one? Attend and you will hear an excellent speaker and heave a healthy lunch. (laughs) I always hoped they weren't advertising one of our conferences on that one. Okay, the ladies of the church have cast off clothing of every kind. They may be seen in the basement Friday afternoon. (laughs) That sounds really chilly. How about you? Okay. The pastor would appreciate if the ladies of the congregation would lend him their electric girdles for the pancake breakfast next Sunday morning. Okay, how many guys like me had no idea they even made those electric? Okay, there you go. See, I didn't know that. Okay, this one, guys, is just plain wrong. This should never, ever show up in print. Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. at the First Presbyterian Church. Please use large, level, large double door at the side entrance. Okay, that's just really wrong. Okay, that's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Okay, all right, how about this one? Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. Okay, now the sad one about this, guys, is there were many years in my marriage that that is actually how my wife felt about me. The truth of the matter is, unlike Bob's story, and I know Bob will admit that he's had plenty of challenges in his marriage with Mary Jo, the truth of the matter is, for many, many years, my marriage was a train wreck. Frankly, Jenny and I have been married now for over 32 years, and guys, it is a miracle. The fact that I'm standing up here before you at a marriage conference, and I am known in many places around the country and around the world as a marriage expert is just plain weird. I can hardly get my head around that. And I have been so honest about our marriage all along, and people would still listen to me. I don't understand. I mean, we were learning, we were telling, and I was just telling them, but guys, I got to tell you, Jenny and I are not in a great place right now, and that was the story. If you read any of my books, 
We've got a couple of them back there on the table, the DNA of relationships that I got the privilege of writing with Gary and Greg Smalley, and the, the DNA of relationships for couples, and I wrote a book called Finding Ever After. It's filled with Bob and Jenny stories. There's a bunch of them, and I'll tell you a few tonight, and I'll tell you some more tomorrow. There's plenty of stories. I could write a few more books about our bad mistakes and problems. It's kind of amazing, um, an amazing testimony to our Lord, to tell you the truth that he could use me to help people. Um, We've been serious, I'll tell you, as much as our marriage, we didn't give God a lot to work with, to tell you the truth. Um, We both had issues. Uh, But we were both serious about our faith. When I met the Lord the day before and that few weeks prior to that, my wedding, I I could not deny the reality of who I encountered. And I really gave my life to him. And I was following him, and my faith was growing. And Jenny's faith was, Jenny's faith was amazing. I mean, I actually, in the first couple of years of my walk with the Lord, I experienced more miraculous encounters with, with the Lord just watching her walk out her faith than I did personally. Because, I mean, she was, she, her faith it was startling. I, there were so many times when I would watch things going on between her and the Lord and going, I didn't know that was possible. And she kind of woke me up to that. And that was going, that's been going on our whole marriage. And yet still, it's been a struggle. Now, I got to tell you something that is weird for me to stand up in front of groups still to say. At this stage of the game, Jenny and I are in an amazing place. Guys, seriously though, it's only been the last few years. I mean, there were times when things were so bad that my kids came up to me and said, Dad, why are you doing this? It was terrible. We finally broke through. Now, again, learning really cool stuff all along the way that seemed to have helped thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But still, we were struggling. And then God finally, you know, has seemed to have created the the ultimate redemption of both of us in our marriage. And we are in an amazing place. And I feel like a phony now standing up in front of people and telling them that we're doing great because it it's so, still so new to say that. But we've, been, we've weathered some really, really big challenges in the last few years, and we cruise through it. Conflicts that used to take days, weeks, months for us to resolve I mean, we don't ever seem to stay in a conflict for longer than 15 seconds to 15 minutes. And that is just weird. But it's pretty cool. And it's, an amazing, it's, ma- it's amazing to have that testimony. But I always thought that people that stand up and say, you know, everything is so cool, they seem like phonies. So I'm afraid that, you know, I can tell you enough. You'll hear, you, there'd be no way you can believe that I'm all that after I tell you my stories. You'll know the real deal because Jenny's given me tremendous permission startling permission to share pretty intimately. I'll tell you some of the most intimate details of our deal. I'll try and make it, you know, PG-13 appropriate. But, uh, um, but she's given me a lot of freedom because she believes in what we're doing. And she's a big supporter and she's a prayer warrior. And I guarantee you, she's already been praying for this group and for my time with you and Bob's time with you. So... Um, we do have four children also. They're pretty similar in ages to Bob's, which is kind of odd. We've got a 30-year-old son, married, giving us a couple of grandchildren. 
We've got a 28-year-old, going to be next week, 29-year-old daughter. Uh, we've got a 25-year-old daughter, and we've got a 20-year-old son. And they've spread all over the country. We've got one still living with us in Springfield, but we've got one in California, we've got one in Denver, and we've got one in Boston. They, they, they didn't even have enough consideration to geographically locate to make it easier for us. They spread across the whole country, and they're all doing pretty well. And I'm very blessed, and I miss them all like crazy because I've got some pretty neat kids, and I'm blessed to be their dad, and I miss my grandbabies too. Um, Because of all the jobs I've had, I've decided Grandpa's the coolest of all. I I just, you know, that's just a great job. It's a lot easier than being mom or dad, I'm telling you. (laughs) Grandpa's really cool. Okay, I'm tired. We're going home. All right, that was fun. We'll come back and play tomorrow. Okay, um, so anybody besides me ever get frustrated trying to figure out how to have a great relationship? Let me see a show of hands. There we go. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm in company. Okay, just we're a bunch, bunch of normal people here. All right, I want to go back for just a couple minutes and show you another video. We're going to have the same couple playing different roles than the couple that were in the first video. See what you think of this one. we really going on this thing this weekend? (laughs) It might do our marriage more good if we just stay home. It'll be a good chance to get away, honey. Relax. Besides, the theme is intimacy. Like I said, maybe we should just stay home. (laughs) Intimacy doesn't mean sex. I know that. I know what intimacy is. Sometimes I wonder. That I don't know what intimacy means, or that I don't know what it means to you. Is there a difference? Oh, you bet there is. I know what your concept of intimacy is. Oh, you do? Sure I do. I may not agree with it, but I know what the ultimate intimate evening would look like to you. Wow, do tell. It would begin with me waltzing in the door from work and sweeping you off of your feet. your day? Just terrible. What can I do to help? No, don't answer that. I know what to do. I'll put these in water. You just stay and rest. Where are the children? I tied them up in their bedrooms. They were terrible today. I'm so proud of you. Let's put some coffee on and talk about it. But what about the dishes in the kitchen? Not now. After we talk. Then I'll do the dishes. Then I'm going to take you to your favorite restaurant, Le Bieu de Bieu de Deux. And then we'll go shopping. (gasps) I could have shopped all night. It was wonderful. I'll put the movie on. I'll get the Kleenex. (laughs) 
That one was really good. I haven't cried like that since last weekend. When they got to the park with the baby, looked up in the mother's eyes, I could hardly watch. I love documentaries. There's just one more thing that would make tonight complete. Do you... Do you want to have... No, no, no. I just want to hold you for a while. Give me a break! What? Please, honey. Is that what you think my concept of intimacy is? <laughs> you know it is. I know it's not. Oh, come on. I know you. I know what you like. I guess you don't know me as well as you think you do. Certainly not as well as I know you. Oh, yeah. Your perfect evening of intimacy would begin with you walking in the door from work. Perfect timing. I've just finished all the vacuuming, and I've changed the oil in the car, and I've cleaned out all the gutters, and I've mowed the lawn. Let me take your briefcase. And all those files, honey, what a day. I baked you a fresh plate of homemade cookies. Chocolate chip, your favorite. Here's your paper. And here's your remote. was wonderful, but I don't want to talk about it. I've talked enough today, and frankly, I'm tired of it. <laughs> hey, you know what time it is? Game time! Oh, 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 oh. Hey, hey, oh, it's Walter Jackson. He got traded today. He's in a new uniform tonight. We're number 32. Look at him go. He's pulling 10 men! Uh. Hey, good! for my birthday. Did I ever tell you that I love it when you ignore me? It really puts me in the mood. The kids are at Jill's. The door's locked. The cat's in the garage. 
The oven's turned off, and the night is young. to be kidding. Come on, you have to admit, you would love it. <sighs> Maybe parts of it. Uh-huh, I told you. But that's not my perfect evening. The person you were describing isn't you. What about who I described? Oh, Mr. Sensitive? Mr. I haven't cried like that since <laughs> last weekend. No, that's not who I want to be married to, but parts of it were nice. Uh-huh, which parts? What parts did you like? I'll tell you if you tell me. Deal. One question. Do you think we're trying to stuff too much into this weekend? Now, I imagine that none of you could relate to any of that, right? I know there's a few parts in there that looked awfully familiar, and I know that one of the things that kind of intrigues me, and I don't exactly know what to make of this, um, here we are trying to create an ideal connection between two people to create this marriage thing. And uh, God made us male and female. And those differences are just sometimes hard to reconcile. To, to, you know, and and they, they do a good job of stereotyping all of it. But some of that stuff, some of those differences really do play out for me anyway. And maybe for some of you too. So how many of you would love to have a great marriage. If you're not married, like the idea of that in your future. If you are married and you have a great marriage, that's awesome. But for everybody else who's just thinking, hey, you know, it could be better, how many would love to have a great marriage? Okay, good. How many, how many of you can say you are completely and totally thrilled with your marriage? All right. I'm glad there's a few. That's not common. That's really not common. I mean, really what we're seeing today is more and more and more people are just kind of ending it. And I talk to pastors all the time who are just overrun with marriage ministry needs because people, because our whole culture is collapsing around relationships. I mean, people are rapidly giving up on the idea that you can even have a lifelong successful marriage today. That's kind of sad to me. So, we have discovered, like I said, some things that are really key. And of all of them, there is one that stands out above the rest. And I'm, I want to suggest that this one key can make more difference to turn things around and get things moving in a very, very good direction than anything else I know. And I'm about to give you the key. Okay? Anybody interested? Let me tell you a couple of things, or let me show you something that is a common mistaken idea, maybe a myth, okay? If two people are in love and committed to their marriage, they have the necessary ingredients to make their marriage work, all right? Now, I used to believe that to be true. Love and commitment was what you needed. If you had a lot of love and serious commitment to each other, and to God, that was it. That would take you there. And I want to suggest to you that that ain't enough. That will not get it done. In fact, the truth is this. Feeling safe is a key ingredient to successful marriages. Feeling safe is a key ingredient to successful marriages. 
Okay? Now, let me show you why and how this works. Okay. Imagine that that's you and there's God. Whether people realize it or not, that relationship is absolutely essential. In fact, it is only because God's hand of sustaining grace is resting on my head at this very moment that I'm standing before you alive, living and breathing. At any moment, if he, choose, if he chose to, re- to remove his hand of sustaining grace, guys, I would collapse before you into a heap on the floor. The life would leave me, and within a few days, I would return to dust. Okay? So that relationship is critical. Now, here's what happens. This is what Bob was talking about in the last session. You get into a, a, a marriage, your spouse shows up, does something that pushes your button, pushes one of those fears, and as a result, we wall off. Okay? We like hunker down and close the doors. We got two doors, the one that goes up here and the one that goes out here. And most people don't think when the fear button gets pushed and we go into survival mode, we're not thinking about anything other than self-protection and survival. We close the door. And as a result of that, what God wants to send to us, much of it just kind of bounces off. And we, we miss a lot of what he wants for us to have. Now, in marriage... You got me and my wife, you and your spouse, you and your prospective spouse. Something happens that makes you feel unsafe. It closes our hearts, which is what we do to protect ourselves. The walls go up and we disconnect because I'll tell you what, you can't connect through the walls. And we all do this. We all walk around in one form or another of protection. And why? Because it's scary out there. We live in a fallen world, and you're going to get hurt. You've all been hurt. I know it. Life is tough. God intended for us to live in the garden, and this ain't it. So there's no way to escape it. So unfortunately, though, this happens to a great degree in marriage a lot. Now, I didn't understand the centrality, the importance of safety. I thought I focused on other things and not that. So there was all sorts of situations that would occur in my marriage that created this situation. Okay, let me give you an example. Um, we had a situation that occurred a number of years ago. Um, and uh, we were um, getting ready for Christmas. Okay, both of us really busy. I would bet I know how this world has, come, has gone, so right, I know that this is a room full of really busy people. So you'll probably be able to relate to parts of this story. We were really busy, okay? We were trying to get ready for Christmas, but life was making it hard to get it all done. And we had family coming in, and we had some shopping we needed to get done. Now, we were living in Branson at that time, and Branson's changed a little bit since then, but at that time, it wasn't really well set up for residents, It's really tourist-oriented. So at the time, what we had to do for a lot of things, if we needed to buy stuff, we had to drive the 50 miles up the road to Springfield, Missouri, in order to get stuff. So there was some stuff that we needed for Christmas that we had to go to Springfield to get because Branson didn't have it. We looked at our calendars, and we couldn't figure out where to go and when to go. The only time in the calendar we could find to go was Christmas Eve day. We had family coming in Christmas Eve, so it was our last shot. All right, so everything is planned, perfect plan. Um, Wake up that morning, and uh, 
just was kind of, Jenny was, wasn't even up, I don't think, yet. And I, I did something I don't normally do. I sat down in front of the television. I turned the television on to watch the news. And as I'm watching the news, all of a sudden, something comes on that I wasn't expecting. Okay, the guy comes on to talk about the weather. And this is what he says, okay? We have a massive snowstorm coming in, okay? And he said, this is about maybe 9 o'clock in the morning. He says it'll be there by 5, but it was going to be a big deal, okay? They were just, you know, talking it up big. So I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, we better hurry. So I went, I told my wife that we, that we, about this, and she needs to get up, and we need to get going, and I told her my plan. I had a perfect plan, okay? I was going to need a bit of a, mir- a mir- miraculous intervention for this to occur, but I had a perfect plan. Here was the plan. I said, Jenny, it's 9 o'clock right now. If we can get on the road by 10, okay, that would have been the miracle, Okay? <laughs> And we drove the hour up to Springfield. We'd be there by 11. We could get our shopping done. We only had a few key things to get. We'd get our shopping done by noon. We could be, then turn around and come home and be home by 1. We'd beat the storm by 4 hours. Perfect plan. Okay? Now, she was on board. Now, my wife is fairly um, diligent about things. So not only, we got a miracle. She was ready to go by 10. Not only was she ready to go by 10, but she had enough gear in that car that we could have, we could have encountered any type of natural disaster and we'd have been ready. I mean, she is very thorough and very diligent about that stuff. So we're ready to go. We're on the road at 10. Okay. We get up to Springfield by 11. We get the shopping done by noon. We pause to get a sandwich, get back in the car, turn on the radio, And this is what I hear. Massive blizzard-like conditions in Branson. And I'm going, wait a minute. It's noon. And the first thought was, they lied to me again. I don't know if you've ever made the mistake of listening to the weather people. It's like they seem to get some deep, perverse pleasure out of sending you out in your shorts and then having a cold front come in and it drops 50 degrees in 30 minutes, okay? So I don't think it's funny, but somebody must. All right, anyway, and I looked in the sky, and guys, there's still blue in the sky. I'm only 50 miles away, okay? There's still patches of blue. There's some clouds, but no way could it be snowing like that, okay? So I get my cell phone out, and I call down home, and my daughter answers the phone, and I said, hey, Jess, what's the weather like there? She said, Dad, you won't believe it. It is snowing so hard you can barely see into the backyard. And I'm going, this can't be true. Okay, so we said, I said, Jenny, we got to get out of here. So we start driving back down to Branson. Um, now, we get about five miles down the road, and we hit it. And guys, it was intense. And one of the most intense snowstorms I've ever been through. Okay, so here's the problem. Um, It turns out that Jenny and I have very different opinions about the proper way to drive in snow. Okay, now, let me just ask you for a show of hands here. Anybody besides me ever have any issues with their spouse about driving? Okay, see, I I always feel like I'm in good company when I tell this story because this is a common issue. may not be in the snow, but it's, it's just driving, okay? So here's the deal, okay? Um... For me, okay, and I know that, that, that um, 
many of my brothers in the audience here can probably relate to this, okay? When I get into snowy conditions, I like to feel the back of the car fishtail just a little bit so I can get an idea how bad, I see, I see head shaking already, how bad the road conditions are, okay? I'm not spinning donuts in the middle of the freeway, okay? I just want to feel how bad it is so I can kind of gauge how I need to drive. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, sure it does. Okay, I know it does. It makes total sense to me. Now, for my wife, however, okay, this is different for me. You can never drive too slow. You can never be too safe, and you can never drive too far behind the car in front of you. Okay, none of that makes sense to me. All right? So here's the deal. We're driving along, and uh, she starts telling me I'm driving too fast. So I slow down because I'm a caring kind of guy, and I'm just like that. All right? But apparently not enough because she says it again. And I slow down some more, but apparently not enough. So she says it again. And finally, I say out of frustration, I said, Jenny, if I drive any slower, we could walk home faster than this. Okay? Now, she didn't appreciate that, but I was serious. Okay, so then she starts telling me I'm too close to the car in front of me. So I pull back because I'm a caring kind of guy. And she apparently decided it wasn't enough because she says it again. I pull back some more, and then... She says it again, and I finally said, Jenny, I'm at least 30 car lengths behind the car in front. So then we're driving, and now we're in the middle of the Ozark Mountains, like Bob was talking about. They really are glorified hills, but they're, but they're still, you know, not flat, okay? And we're in the middle of this, in the middle of nowhere, as a matter of fact. And all of a sudden, she just pops, okay? She is sitting in the passenger seat, and she starts slapping her knees like this and screaming at the top of her lungs, I feel like I'm going to die! (laughs) And then she says, pull over right here and let me out. I'm walking home. (laughs) Now, would any of you think me a bad man if for at least just a brief moment I seriously considered it? (laughs) I just couldn't for life me figure out, you know, what I was going to tell the kids about why mom wasn't home Christmas Eve, <laughs> you know. And then could you imagine this, local marriage expert abandons his wife on the side of the road in the middle of a blizzard. I mean, it was no good win for me in that deal. The reality of the, about that situation, though, is that in that moment, she really got my attention because I'm telling you, there is no way I am going to let her off on the side of the road in the middle of the, one of the worst blizzards I've ever seen. So basically, what really happened at that point is I just I said, okay, whatever you need is what I'm going to do. And we, we made it home. Now, I'm telling you, it was, I've never to this day seen more cars in the ditch than I did that day. It was terrible conditions. And we did make it by God's grace. Um, So here's the deal, though, guys. This is what you need to know. That was going on for us. And my wife did not feel safe. And seriously, it really wasn't just that she felt physically unsafe. She felt emotionally unsafe. 
because how she felt apparently didn't matter enough to me until she had to tell me she felt like she was going to die with as much passion as she could muster. And I finally, she finally got my attention, and I listened. And I look back on it now, and I'm kind of sad that that's what it took to get my attention. Because I'm sitting there thinking that she's just trying to control me and tell me how to do everything. And for goodness sakes, I got a good driving record, so you should just be able to trust me. And you don't have to tell me like she did, and I didn't tell you this part, but the proper way to put my hands on the steering wheel. Because she didn't like where I was holding it. She wanted me to be holding the steering wheel in the 10 o'clock and the 2 o'clock position. Okay? And she gave me that instruction also. But it took until we got to this point before I finally paid attention. Now, here's what happens, guys, seriously. When people feel safe, they just relax and their hearts open. And the walls come down, and guess who has access to an open heart? Because you see, guys, if we have the doors to our hearts closed, our God is a gentleman, And he will never force his way into your heart. Now, he will very gentlemanly stand at the door and knock. But unless you open the door, he's not going to come in. Because he gives us that right. So when we feel safe, this is the way it works. Unfortunately, many times, people, everyone wants to be close and connected to their spouse. Everybody wants that feeling of intimacy. And unfortunately, people typically use one of two methods to try and get there. First of all, they try and create intimacy. I'm telling you right now, it's a waste of time. Don't bother. Matter of fact, you can go to a Barnes & Noble or some big bookstore, and you'll be able to see a wall of books on how to create intimacy. And I know because I wrote a couple of them. And I'm telling you, it's a waste of time. It's not good for book sales, but I'm never going to make a living off of selling books anyway, so don't worry about it. Okay? Waste of time. Okay? Second thing people do is they realize that a necessary condition to experience intimacy is to have your hearts open because it's a heart-to-heart experience. So what do they try and do? They try and get their heart open. And they use one or two methods there, and I think they're both terrible. The first one is they throw their heart wide open, and they rush headlong into the situation and pray they don't get crushed. That just feels careless. And the second is using what I like to call the probar approach because it's like trying to pry open a manhole cover while you're standing on it. Okay, there's a part of you that says, I want to be open, and there's another part of you that says, no stinking way, this is too dangerous. So you're at war with yourself, part of you wanting to connect, part of you thinking it's too scary, and you just got that inner battle going on where you can't get, get beyond. Okay? Now, I'm telling you, that's a waste of time. So don't try and create intimacy and don't try and get open. If instead you focus all of your attention simply on trying to make it safe. What do people do when they feel really, really safe? They just relax. And when they relax, guess what happens? Their heart opens. And when you have two people with their hearts wide open, close to each other, intimacy happens Just like that. No effort, no work, no strain. It just happens. It doesn't even require words. However, words can sometimes help make it a little bit deeper if they're nice, safe words. 
but it doesn't need words. It happens naturally. And the sad thing is, of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that I talk to, very rarely does anybody make safety their primary goal in their marriage. They make intimacy and openness, and it's the hard way. I'm telling you right now, the easy way to intimacy is you focus on making it safe, physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, because safety is just not, my body's not going to be injured. Safety is in all areas of your being, and you make that your central focus, and all the rest falls into place. Now, we can give you some helps, which we're going to do more tomorrow, to help you figure out some of the details of how to make that happen, but this is the key right here. So if you can't remember anything else about this weekend and you just focus on this, you will move significant steps down the road. So, creating a safe marriage. I'm going to give you three simple steps to create a safe marriage, okay? Step number one, recognize that you are teammates. Marriage is a team sport, and it runs by the rules of team. Okay, so let me ask you married folk here, and anybody that's not married can still relate to this. Anybody here ever get into a power struggle with somebody they're close to? There you go, sure. All of us have experienced power struggles. Um, And it can be as simple as just trying to make your point when you feel like your spouse is somehow not, I mean, trying to not let you. And I want you to know, guys, that power struggles are maybe the most insidious tool that our enemy uses to take couples out. Power struggles. Now, why is that? Well, I had this revealed to me 17 years ago, completely unexpectedly, even before I started in this ministry, and I was in an interaction with my eldest son, Christopher. He was 13. Now, I got to tell you a little bit about my son for you to be able to understand this. Uh, My son, you know how kids, when they come into the world, they come in with sort of a personality, and it's there from the beginning, and you just watch it develop in many ways as they grow. Well, Christopher came into the world with some kind of a belief that I don't know how he got it, but it has really caused frustration for him. He came into the world somehow believing he was meant to be the ruler of the universe. (laughs) And one of his great frustrations in life is that none of the rest of us got the memo, so we haven't been appropriately bowing down to his every women expectation, and it obviously would create a lot of frustration for him. And, I mean, there's lots of things. Like, for instance, when he was five years old, um, we were teaching him to read. And uh, I had reading duty that day. And all of a sudden, I'm telling him one of the letters, its name and, and the sounds that it makes and that sort of thing. And he starts to throw a temper tantrum because, get this, he didn't like the name I was telling him the letter had. And he wanted it to have a different name and make different sounds. 
And I had no idea what to do with this one. I mean, this was really beyond my pay grade. So I looked over at my wife. I said, what do I do with this? And finally, out of exasperation, I just threw my hands up and said, son, I swear I had nothing to do with this. I said, this was all decided before any of us came along. And whether you like it or not, we can't change it now. I mean, he's literally on the ground kicking and screaming about this. And I'm just totally... So this is my son. Okay, so now imagine... Fast forward a few years, he's 13 now, okay? Can you just imagine how good that got? Now, I will tell you honestly, (laughs) I will tell you honestly, he did get this honestly because both mom and dad are very stubborn and strong-willed, so it's not like, you know, it's it's a genetic thing apparently. So, uh, you know, he he had no real hope. Although, I got to tell you, I'm really glad the first two are both very stubborn and strong-willed. I'm really, really glad that God gave us the first two first, because if we'd have got the easy ones first, we'd have had no idea what to do with the hard ones. But when the, the, when the first two came, we didn't know they came in any other flavor, so we just figured this is the way all kids are. And then, then Becky comes along, and if she kind of was out of line, all you had to do was look a little bit cross toward her, and she'd shape right back up. And I go, wow, where's the fight? I mean, wow, that was easy. Okay, so anyway, Chris, not that way. Chris was the toughest. And uh, so anyway, we got into it over a safety issue one day. He's 13 years old, and it's quite clear that he really seemed to come to the conclusion that mom and dad are just all about trying to spoil his party and control him. And I'm seeing him, I don't remember what the issue was, but it was a safety issue, and it was really clear that um, if he didn't get this, bad things could happen to him. So I'm really passionate about needing to get through to him. So we're back in my bedroom, and we lock down in a full-blown power struggle. And I'm trying to convince my son to see this issue and how dangerous it is, and he is clearly just trying to dodge me and not be controlled by dad. And I, am, I get more and more passionate the way we go. And guys, I'm pulling out the big guns at this point. I mean, I'm crafting these elegant word pictures that I'm, I'm kind of patting myself on the back going, dang, Bob, that was brilliant, okay? And then he kind of sidesteps, and I go, how could you not see that? That was brilliant, okay? So I got to come back and regroup and come up with another one and come in for another angle. And we are going round and round and round for an hour and a half with full-on intensity, both of us. I'm sitting on the bed. He's standing in the doorway like he's ready to make a hasty exit at a moment, moment's notice, but he's staying engaged with me, and we are battling it out. Okay, finally, after an hour and a half, he gets it. Now, I was so relieved at that point. I literally, I was sitting on the edge of the bed. I just fell back, and out loud, I just said, thank you, Jesus. Now, I looked, and out of the corner of my eye, Chris turned to walk out of the room, and here's how he left. And I felt kind of bad about that, but I figured he'd get over it. At least he'd be safe. So I spent probably the next 20 minutes or so just regrouping and kind of getting myself back together after that that battle. Finally ready to go back out and join the family. And I get off the bed, walk out, and I'm walking down the hallway. And when I get to the end of the hallway, I notice now that Christopher, I see Chris is sitting in the dining room at the head of the table all by himself. No one in there with him. And this is what he looks like. I mean, the boy was broken. And all I felt was deep conviction. Because you see, my son's 13, and I've been really thinking for a while that my job now is to really prepare my young son to become a man. And I looked at that scene, and all I realized that I had done was crushed his spirit. I crushed him. And I had no idea how to fix that mess. 
So out of complete desperation, I cried out to the Lord. And in a way that doesn't happen near often enough, he answered me immediately. He whispered something in my ear that was so clearly not of me. Because, I mean, I knew how I thought, and this was out of left field. And I went, wow, thanks, God. And I went up to him, and I sat down at the table next to him. And I looked at him, and I said, hey, son, if you think back on that interaction we just had, who would you say won? He paused for a second. He said, really, for the most part, Dad, you did. And I shook my head, and I said, son, if that's the case, I lost. And he looked at me like, you are so weird. I don't know if you ever get that look from your kids, but that's a real staple in my house. I get that look all the time. So I looked at it, I I said it this way, you know, at that point he was playing Little League Baseball and he played with a kid named Chucky. And I said, hey son, when you and Chucky are playing ball, is there ever a time when you win and Chucky loses? He said, no. I said, how about Chucky wins and you lose? He said, no. I said, how come? He said, dad, we're on the same team. I said, exactly, son. I'm not your enemy. And therefore, if you lose, I lose. And he goes, okay, I get it. And we proceeded to have a, uh, probably one of the best father-son talks we've ever had for about the next 20 minutes. But here's the thing that really got me. You need to know that at that point in our marriage, we were at one of the lowest points we, had, we were ever at. Matter of fact, in the DNA of relationships, there's, a, there's a, a line that got written in there that my wife actually didn't want in the book. And it got edited out of the book five different times and kept finding its way back. So apparently somebody wanted it there, but I really said, Jenny, I swear I tried to get it out of there. And then it shows up in print. And it's not that she doesn't mind me telling you, that she minds me telling you a group like this or people that I'm working with in counseling. She's okay with me saying that she didn't want it in print because she thought it made her look like a witch or whatever else you want to call her. I don't think so. I think it says more about me. Okay, but she didn't like it, but it showed up in print. And this is the statement. It's right around the same time she said, Bob, the thought of ever making love to you again makes me feel like I'm going to vomit. Now, that was a pretty dark day for me. And she really wasn't talking just about sex, guys. Seriously, she was really saying, the thought of having anything to do with you makes me sick to my stomach. That's where we were at at this time. And um, like I said, we're both stubborn and strong-willed. That's just the way both Jenny and I are. And uh, another thing you want to know about me is I really like winning. Okay, I mean, I can tolerate, tolerate losing, okay? But I don't like to lose. I like to win, and I want to be on winning teams, and I will bust my butt to win. And all of a sudden, I started thinking about what I just learned with God, up with Chris, and my marriage. And all of a sudden, over the next several days, I had aha after aha, realizing that I set up virtually every interaction I ever had with my wife, any time a difference of any type was involved, just like the one I set up with Chris. And I started thinking, for someone who likes to win as much as you do, that's just plain stupid. Because you see, marriage is a team sport. And when you're on the same team, there's only two possible outcomes. You both win or you both lose, period. End of story, there is no such thing as a win-lose outcome in marriage ever. It's merely an illusion from the pit of hell. 
And the freaky thing is, I have literally told thousands and thousands and thousands of people this. I have been on radio. I have been on television. And I have shared this story with people. And what's freaky to me is that almost nobody I ever encounter thinks about their marriage as a team and recognizes that you both win or you both lose. There's no such thing as a win-lose outcome in marriage ever. And I'm convinced everybody gets it, first of all. Everybody gets it. This is not rocket science. This is simple stuff. And for something this simple to be that elusive to that many people has the mark of the enemy all over it. He doesn't want us to know this because if he can get us, who really is the enemy of your marriage? Satan. And the moment you get into a conflict with your spouse, who do you perceive as the enemy? He's got you from that moment forward. You don't even need to bother to have the fight at that point. You might as well just walk over to your win-loss column and stick an L there and just plant one on your forehead in the meantime. You're going to lose and you're a loser. And he doesn't want you to realize that. He wants us to embroil in conflict because the second we do, he wins, we lose. It's that simple. Well, that's kind of encouraging to me, actually. So, one of the key things I used to teach us at the end of the seminar and dealing with conflict and how to resolve conflict. My wife, the brilliant soul that she is, fought with me until she finally got me to see that it is the cornerstone of safety. So I started talking. I'll talk some more about it tomorrow, but I'll, I'm talking about it as a cornerstone to safety. Marriage is a team sport. You are teammates. You both win or you both lose. The second you embroil as adversaries in a conflict, game over, you both lose. Okay? Step number two, devote yourself to being trustworthy. Devote yourself to being trustworthy. Here's a myth. In a healthy marriage, trust should build to the point that it becomes complete. That seems reasonable, right? This is a lie, but it seems reasonable that as you do marriage, your trust should be building and building and building. That's what normally is going to happen. And it should build to the point that it's a done deal. You don't need to worry about it anymore. It's a given. Okay? This is the truth. Trust is never earned once and for all and must be continually maintained. Trust is never earned once and for all. Never. And it must be continually maintained. Now, let me go ahead and define trustworthy for you. Trustworthiness is demonstrating through word and deed what you say and what you do that you recognize and respect the infinite worth and vulnerability of the person that you are interacting with. That the person you are interacting with is so incredibly valuable and incredibly vulnerable, capable of being damaged by you, let alone other people. And that you show that you get it in everything you say and everything you do. That's trustworthy. 
And guess what? I know for a fact none of you, including me, are completely trustworthy. Even if you want to be, you're not completely trustworthy. And here's a stupid example, but it works for me. Let's say Jenny and I are leaving the house. And by some weird fluke of nature, when we get in the car, we both slam our fingers in the door at the same time. Okay? Whose finger do you think I'm going to be most focused on in that moment? Why? Because mine's throbbing and I can feel that pain. Do you think I'll be aware that she's hurting? Yeah. I'll probably hear her singing and dancing. Okay? But I'm feeling my pain in that moment, not because I'm a sinner, because I'm wired this way. I'm a human being. In that moment, not that I'm not a sinner. I just want to make sure you didn't, you didn't hear that wrong. Okay, I get that part too. All right, but I'm also just a plain human being, wired to be self-focused. In that moment, I will be more focused on my pain than I am on hers. More focused on my needs than I am on hers. Not because I don't love her, but because my finger's throbbing. In that moment, I am not trustworthy to her. And once I finally realized that, from that day to this, that's many years ago now, I have never again ever asked my wife to trust me. Not one time since I realized this, I never asked my wife to trust me. Instead, I just focus on doing everything in my power to be trustworthy. And then I just trust that she will do everything she can to determine whether or not I feel safe to her. And I I have been terrible about this. I'm going to tell you a story that's telling on me again. It's early in our marriage, but it just kind of illustrates me and not being trustworthy. Okay, so in the early days, I really did believe that what we needed to do when issues came up, if we were going to be responsible to ourselves, to the Lord, and to our marriage, was to discuss them and work them out, okay? So something would come up that bothered me, and being a responsible person, I would go up to my wife, and I would want to talk to her about it. Now, there were two things I wanted to talk about. Any guesses? What she did that I didn't like and what I wanted her to do differently. Now, for some reason, she didn't like those conversations. Imagine that. And I have a lot of stamina, too, so I'd start talking and she'd talk back and so forth, but then she'd finally get to the point where she'd be done and she'd want out and she'd walk away. Well, guess what I did? Any guesses? Absolutely. I'd follow her wherever she went, okay? And she'd go to another room and I'd follow her. I'd keep yapping. And then she'd try and leave and go to another room, and I'd keep yapping. Okay, finally, and this sadly happened twice before I stopped doing it, okay? She went and she locked herself in the bathroom. And I'm thinking, cool, I got a captive audience. I figure I'm going to be here for a while. I might as well be comfortable. So, you know, she had the door locked. I couldn't get in, so I, I just leaned up against the wall outside the bathroom door, and I slid it down until I'm sitting on the ground, you know, and I kept the barrage going through the door until... I heard the car start. My wife literally climbed out the bathroom window to escape me and drove off. Now, I'm really ticked at that point, guys, because I'm sitting here, first of all, thinking, okay, all right, I had really said a few really important things that she needed to hear, and she was gone, okay? She didn't get the benefit of my, my brilliance, okay? And, uh, and on top of that, I'm thinking, she doesn't love me. She doesn't love God. She doesn't care about our marriage. And just to give you an idea how bad things were, 
she had hidden a set of keys in the bathroom and pre-planned the escape route. Now, why do you think she didn't just leave the front door? Because, I, no, I'd have blocked her exit. That's pathetic. That's embarrassing, horrifying, but true. That's the way I handled things. And I really did believe she was being ungodly, an unchristian, unchristlike woman, not caring about me, not caring about the marriage, and thank God I realized I was wrong. And I love my wife, and I want nothing but the best for her. And I wasn't safe. And for goodness sakes, girl, get out of Dodge if I'm not safe. You have no business being there. I see it now. Now, it happened twice. doesn't happen anymore. Nothing like that happens anymore. We are way beyond that. But I didn't get it. I really believed that, okay? Now, what's changed, one of the things that changed, not only are we teammates, but I am devoted to being trustworthy. And that's my job. I got a full-time job just trying to pull that off. I let her decide the extent to which she feels safe enough to open to me. I don't get into that. That's between her and God. And I do all I can to give her every reason to want to open and no reason to want to run. Okay, you get that? Last one. Require anyone having access to the part of you that is of infinite worth and value to behave in a trustworthy manner. And I need you to understand, guys, of the three, this is the foundational one, and here's why. How valuable are you? I hope you know that you are God's precious son or daughter. That you matter so much to our dad that in spite of the fact that you and I deserve death, we ain't getting death. That he sent his son to die for us, to get us off the hook because we matter that much to him. That is a big deal. Now, how valuable are you? Pretty darn valuable. And if you really are his son or daughter, how do you think he wants you cared for? For those of you who have kids, especially older kids, how do you want them cared for? What's it like for you if somebody mistreats one of your children or you see worse your children mistreating themselves? I know this sounds a little chauvinistic. It feels a little chauvinistic to me, but I think I just look at my girls and my boys differently a little bit, okay? I know one of the more difficult moments in my life was when I said goodbye to my two daughters when they got married, and I was sending them off with a couple of guys, and that bugged me because I know guys, and that made me nervous. I didn't trust them with those guys. And they seem like pretty decent guys, but that's not the point. These are my girls. And they're not going to be in a place where I can protect them and care for them anymore. And I had a talk with both of the boys, different talk because they're both different. But here's what really got me. As their dad, I knew that ultimately my girls better get who they are and how valuable they are 
to this daddy. And if either of those boys or anybody else starts messing with them, that they think enough of themselves, that they get out of Dodge and they come home to daddy. Because if their well-being is dependent upon how well those boys treat them, and that's the key, we're in trouble. That is way too much responsibility and power that those boys have. I want the girls to get who they are so that things aren't going well. They say, "Uh uh-uh, not going to happen, not on my watch. And guys, if you don't learn how to be trustworthy to self, You'll never feel safe in any relationship because your well-being is totally contingent upon how the other people show up. And I got to tell you the truth, they're all like me, wired to get self-focused if their stuff is getting triggered. And as much as they might be good people, there's going to be moments where they're not thinking of you. And your dad is counting on you to be thinking about you. Because the temple that you live in is his temple. And he wants you to care for it well. And unless you have confidence that you're going to take care of you, you'll never feel safe in any relationship, period. Because too much power is in everybody else's hands. However, and when my wife crawled out the window, she's doing that. My wife, under the, when I push her far enough, my wife sets some amazing boundaries. I mean, I hate them when she sets them, but then I look back later through the eyes of someone who kind of gets it a little bit, and I go, dang, girl, that was good. Made me really mad when you did it, but I see it now because I love you, and the last thing I want is for you to be hurt by me, and I'm really capable of hurting you. Now, think about how this works. When you get to the point that you're doing all three of these things, that you are confident that you are watching out for God's property, which you are, and you are seeing the value that you are, and you know that if something isn't going right, you're going to do something about it. You're just not going to sit by and let it happen. Number two, both people are doing that. Number two, both people are devoted to being trustworthy to the other to the best of their ability. And they are, they're never relieved of that all day, 24-7, 365, for the rest of their life together. They're both devoted to number two. And they start off recognizing that marriage is a team sport, and they are both on the same team, and you both win or you both lose, period. You do all three of those things, and you start feeling incredibly safe. And guess what's, what happens <clears throat> when you feel that safe? You just relax, and your heart's open. And when two people with their hearts wide open get close to each other, intimacy happens just like that. No work, no effort. Just happens. Now, guys, that's the short course, the easy way to a great relationship. And this stuff really works. And we're talking physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Your whole being needs to feel safe. And I'm convinced in a good marriage, 
Anytime you are in the presence of your spouse, that should be the safest place in the entire world, bar none. This should be the place you come home to. This is the place that's your refueling station. This is your safe haven, your sanctuary, your safe zone. And you can take off your, your armor and lay down your sword and your shield until tomorrow when you got to pick it back up and go back out and fight dragons. But there needs to be a place you can go to where you don't have to be on guard, where it's okay to not only be naked and unashamed, but naked and unafraid. That's the goal. And for me, guys, that's home. I finally come to the place where I realize that home is not a dwelling a building that I live in. Home is any time I'm in the presence of Jenny Paul. That's home. And God is always in the middle of it. That's safe. That's my goal. So, Proverbs 4.23 says this. Look at this verse. This is a key one, guys. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guys, anytime you're reading scripture, you see the words above all else. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know. That's the Lord saying, hey guys, sit up and take note of this one. This is important. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. That is the place through which life springs forth. And above all else, you need to guard it. And in my house, I guard this heart. I guard her heart. I try to guard the hearts of my children and listen to the heart of my Lord. And guys, that works. It's amazing how simple it is when you get your focus in the right place. It doesn't need to be complicated. At the core, the gospel is very simple. So here's what we're going to do. This is how the model looks. Let me show you this. Okay, we've got the journey to the promised land that Bob told you about. That little circle there represents, whoops, nope. That little circle represents the fear cycle, okay? Right here, you've got the promised land. Safety leads to openness, which creates intimacy, okay? There's four steps that we're going to teach you tomorrow, and that's what tomorrow is all about, which is to create safety. The first one is personal responsibility, and we'll make it Very clear. Just notice how safety grows when you keep adding these, and the order is important. Caring for yourself is step number two. Caring for your mate is step number three. And caring for your marriage is step number four. That order is critical, and we will spend one session on each of those tomorrow. Personal responsibility, caring for yourself, caring for your mate, caring for your marriage. You do those in the right order. You don't have to complete one before you add the next one. You just need to make sure you got the first one going before you get the second one going, and then you're growing them simultaneously. Safety gets really big, and all of it gets a whole lot easier. So, that's what we have in store. I got to tell you, I so appreciate being here. This is actually the fourth conference I've had the opportunity of doing in central Illinois. I've been to Bloomington once, Norma once, and my second time in Champaign. 
I've always had great turnouts. I love it here. I love the people here. The response is great. I don't know what makes you guys as responsive as you are, but I never uh, have anything other than looking forward to feelings about coming here. So I appreciate having the opportunity to come and share my heart, to share my story, my successes and my failures with you in the hopes that we can offer you something before midday tomorrow that will bless you, that you can use immediately in your life, in your relationships, because this transfers to all sorts of relationships, and especially in your marriage to God's glory. We'll see you bright and early tomorrow. I think we start at 8.30, and we will start on time. Please be here and be ready to roll. Four hours and we're done. See you then. Good night.